There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Give me an ooh. Give me an ah. No, we, 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 we won't Paul do that. Paul McGraw? No. Paul McGraw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are Paul McGraw. It's no encore, everybody, and it sounds like this. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm not going to read out the numbers anymore because it just feels like we're old men now or something. But it's in the heavy three, four, three, three, four, three, three, four, three. Guilty Spark, everybody. Mm. That's a Halo reference. I've been playing the Halo games again. Have you? I have. Yeah. Hanging out with Dahi last month. Are you? Yeah. I'll do it. Hanging out with Dahi last month. We were playing couch co-op Halo, and now I'm like I'm hooked on it again. So it's been my kind of release. And boy, have I needed a release lately. Yeah. Life's very stressful. But we're not here to talk about stress. We're here to talk about books. <laughs> Let's read a book. It's top five songs inspired by books. And no Encore Book Club. Inspired by Craig, who chose this top five. Why yeah. did you choose this top five? I just felt inspired. Um, I can't even remember. There was a new story that's not on the running order about someone writing something for Lord of the Rings. Was yeah. it? Who was it? Fiona Apple? No. Fiona Apple has written a track, I think, for the series. So actually, it wasn't even technically book related. Excellent. Which um, cropped up a good bit when Hitless I was looking at hard. selections. Well, I think it's an interesting one. We did um, toy with the idea of just extending it to pop culture, but I think there's enough in every different medium to probably, I'm going to say, it, milk various different top fives from that one thing. So Let's milk the books. Yeah. I used to love books when I was young. I mentioned that in the Patreon preview post this week. It is patreon.com slash noencore if you want to support the show. And it's a good time to do it, I would say, because we are recording a brand new Noox Court this weekend. We are. We're back at it. We've committed to it. It'll, 
so that'll be out very very soon get your wallets out for patrons only <laughs> uh, our, our recommends corner which I think will be interesting because we haven't done one in a while I'm curious to know what you guys are listening to but we'll hold that off it's patreon.com slash no encore new episode coming in the next few days thank you to everyone who supports the show yes. we greatly appreciate it anyone who has ever supported the show and of course please tell people about the show that's the best currency of all apart from money which is also good books I used to love them we can talk about that later on in the show um, before we get going with the news Did you, I, this is intriguing did you have a falling out with the concept of books yeah the written word and I go way back and tempestuous <laughs> as it is I watched the new Spotify show it's called The Playlist it's on Netflix uh, Swedish oh it's on Netflix yeah 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 for some out. reason I thought this was something that I was just going to like stream via Spotify and I was not looking forward to it no it's out now it's called The Playlist it's a six episode show I've watched four of them so far and it's, it's uh, I thought it was a documentary it's not it's a dramatisation is it about struggling artists who aren't getting paid correctly? In they're in there. The, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's about Do the they lament the, the fees they get from streaming services? Well, each episode is from the point of view of a different person, and the last episode is called The Artist, so I haven't gotten to that one yet. Okay. But it's doing, so it's doing kind of like a, it's like, a, it wants to be the social network, and it does a thing where at the end of every episode, one person kind of walks into frame and go, like almost like takes okay. the baton and goes, that's not how it happened. And it's like, oh, fuck, man, here we go. Head is only music next. Mm. Um, it's good. Oh. I'd recommend it. Oh. oh, it's not blow away, but it's it's it's, it's held my attention so far. Okay, so okay. check it out, guys. But for now, we press on with the show in the way that we've done for the last two hundred odd episodes. Let's go. Start spreading the news. Yeah, nothing different there whatsoever, huh? So what what's the top story? Animal Collective, um, probably the biggest act in the news over the past week or so. Um, you know, former darlings of Pitchfork and the likes. They've had to cancel dates, Dave, including um, their upcoming Irish one, I believe. It's because of the Turing economy. It's just not worth it, apparently, or sustainable for them. And lots of others. Which is, yeah, well, uh, the yeah, actual I mean, of gig economy is not in a good place right now. No, it's it's actually, you know, um, jokes aside, it's it's very concerning. So they released a statement saying, preparing for this tour, we were looking at the economic reality um, that simply does not work and is not sustainable, from inflation to currency devaluation, to bloated shipping and transportation costs and much more. We simply could not make a bu- budget for this tour that did not lose money, even if everything went as well as it could. Um, and yeah, Animal Collective, I mean, maybe it's like cult concern these days. It's still a fairly sizable act. Yeah. And if they can't do it, <laughs> doesn't, yeah. It well, doesn't... it's an interesting contrast because this arrived in the same week that Blink-182 announced their original lineup reformation and announced a 73 date, I think it is. I mean, there's levels. World there? tour. This, you know, this is Blink we're talking about here. Have you seen the prices for those tickets? Um, 80 odd pricey. euro at a baseline, yeah. And lots more after quid. that. Yeah. Did you get a ticket, Adam? I did not, but I... Probably will. I will go. I've never seen them before, and I was a huge Blink fan back in the day. I still am. Last time I saw them was eleven years ago. Where? In the in the three arena formerly known as the O2. Okay. Uh, I had tickets to see them in the in the Point. So the three arena formerly known as the O2, formerly known as the Point, uh, back in the in my teenage days, and they cancelled, and then I just never got to see them after that point. I think I kind of went off them for a while. I took it personally, like Michael Jordan would. Um, but the original lineup is back, Greg. Tom's along. 
back in the fold. Oh, Matt Skiba. Never thought I'd see today. Matt Skiba just turfed the fuck out, I presume. I don't think he's put out any statements yet, but I assume that was the deal. And it's I kind will of like say, the Chili Peppers deal where it's like, you know, yeah, Frishante's coming back, so... That's it. Yeah. Um, I will say, I hope Matt Skiba's all right because I love Alkaline Trio. I don't think Matt Skiba brought a ton to the new Blink, but also I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be making great albums. Like, some, one of my, ma- my mates messaged me and he said, I think that Tom DeLonge going back to Blink-182 will actually do more harm than good. And my response is, I disagree because... They're coming off the back of two nothing albums, like California yeah. and Nine. There's just almost nothing on either of those records that's even worth keeping. Maybe like two songs off California. Um, but like, it's, a, it's a nostalgia tour. That's what this is. Yeah. And what that's, was the rationale a, behind it doing more harm than good? Like, He's into aliens and stuff. Aren't we all kind of into aliens? I mean, in terms of artists slightly going off the deep end, this is fine territory for me being into aliens. That's fair, yeah. Um, you like conspiracy theories and stuff? I like, yeah, alien conspiracy theories, <laughs> I would like to point out. Do you, do you have any <laughs> and, interest... you know, frivolous, fun stuff. <laughs> do, you, do you have any interest whatsoever in, in going to see Blink-182 in 2023? Well, do you know what? Probably more so than I might have done a few years ago. I think this show, more than anything, has, just from our, our conversations about the genre what they meant at the time, them as songwriters when they've cropped up in top fives and They're stuff. They're better songwriters than they get credit for. Yeah, well, I think we've reached a point maybe somewhere through last year where we're like, they they were the better act between them and Green Day. Oh, by a mile. I, mean? by I a never really thought of it like that before. By a mile. Not and that also, I was a Green Day fan, but you know what I mean? But also, like, like not only is this like, it's, it's a smart marketing move, it's a good story, it's a particularly heartfelt story because yes. it arrives on the back of Mark Hoppus having cancer yeah, and having great. successful treatment for that stuff. and thus... You couldn't begrudge this. I hope, like, fair enough, make some money. And, like, I assume there is a new album coming. In fact, by the time this podcast is out, there'll be a single out called Edging, because, uh, you know, they, you, you never do grow up, do you? But um, an album's coming. Tom DeLonge said it's the best. Well, he said, what if I said it was, it's the, we just made the best album of our career? And my reaction is, you definitely haven't. But uh, I will listen to it nonetheless. Well, I mean, he didn't say they'd made the best album. He's just, what if I said it? I'm He's posing, testing yeah, the waters. I'm posing the question. I'm taking the temperature. Um, um, He's very much edging. Uh, I think um, aren't we all but um, essentially I think edging towards a great show uh, I think essentially what's happening here is it'll be it'll be a great hit store which is what it should be yeah. and I think it'll be great yeah it's hits <laughs> what else we got in the uh, running order here uh, I, I put most of it together yeah you did and I haven't really read most of it <laughs> okay okay. well hang on I, I've got I this d- I know I, 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 j- I jest I jest Craig David no, I did should we say as well that, you know, like, we used to work with someone who thought it was hilarious to say Craig David Craig David because yeah you're yeah. called David and I'm, I'm called there was Craig, even allegedly. a photoshop in which of the Born to Do It album cover with our faces kind of cut down the middle split. and spliced yeah, together it was like the face off poster but it was very disconcerting it was really it kind of looked like some person had had a a stroke or something it was yeah, not it was, yeah yeah it was not fun it wasn't good banter well, banter last decade speaking of, was a little off at speaking times of, uh, that's what he's talking about speaking uh, of not good banter yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, take it away uh, he's really opened up about how he felt about Bo Selecta um, parodying him essentially I guess uh, Lee Francis just kind of mocking him for years on end and we knew obviously this had a huge impact on him I mean, he's talked over the years about how it kind of was something of a death knell for his career at that stage Um but he's just kind of said really like how it affected him emotionally and how he, he he's called out Lee Francis again, said the apology wasn't that heartfelt at all and he needs to be held to account. Um, this was an interview um, Craig did with The Times. He said it felt like a vendetta and when I got a following, it became something that affected me. People would shout at me on the street and I felt the same feeling I had when I was bullied at school. Lee Francis had normalised bullying by making a comedy 
Has he reached out to any of the people he did on his show? He hasn't reached out to me. Has he gone to communities to talk about bullying, racism, and to be educated? You can only ask him. All I've seen since his apology is people still tweeting him thinking Bo Select is fun and the tone of his response being very much still, I'm the funny guy here. That he still plays it like a joke after his apology tells me everything. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, he, um, like, I remember having this conversation before with, uh, with a mate years ago and they were like, well, that show destroyed his career. And yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, it destroyed his career. They Very were like, much it did. did. Yeah. And it's like, he has a career, of course, but like, I, once I kind of heard the hypothesis, I was like, yeah, that is fair. It did, it did, it destroyed all his credibility. It genuinely fucked him up. Um, you, I mean, like, this story went out, you know, this week online, and of course, the majority of the comments were being like, it's not fucking racist, it's funny, and like making references and stuff. Not on his side, which just further proves the point. Yeah. And a, and a big thing that people were saying was, well, he was on the show. He appeared on the show. He lampooned, like, he, he leaned into it. Yeah, and he, he addressed that himself. He was basically like, of course, it was a weird catch-22, and he was trying to get advice in terms of, like, how do we deal with this? Yeah. Down the video, do I down ignore it? Yeah, do yeah. I c- try and lean into it? You know, if you're fucking being bullied and people are having a laugh, a defense mechanism might be to fucking go, ah uh-huh, yeah, and just try and fucking protect yourself. That's essentially essentially what he seemed to do by going on the show. So, yeah, that's... Plus, he's that every, says nothing. He that's also has every right at yeah. this stage of his life to turn around and say, well, here's how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. You know, like, it's, like it's, people can change their mind, even if that's not necessarily what happened here. And I think he's accurate. I think it is fucking racist. And that show sucked, by the way. It's, yeah, bizarre when you look back at it. Um, not that I've gone back to watch it, but even just thinking about <laughs> some of those sketches. Yeah, yeah, I got the box <laughs> out, yeah. At the time, I didn't really get the humour of it, but the fact that it was even on TV now seems shocking For to me. And it's while, that yeah. strange thing where, like, Lee Francis is still something of a star. I haven't Keith seen his Lemon. output, but... Yeah, like that yeah the Keith Lemon yeah, stuff, yeah. and he's, like, on ITV2 things, and, I, like, anyway, his career is still... It's weird that he his rising star, like, his whole... The foundation of celebrity is based on something like that, which would never get commissioned anymore. But now he's kind of segued into other stuff and it's, I guess he's just distancing himself, but um, not quite enough, I guess. It's also, again, like when these things happen, it's it's the same when like, you know, a football manager says something in a press conference or whatever. It's like, Craig David was interviewed by journalists. Mm. They asked him about this. He gave an answer. And everyone's like, oh, he's fucking, what, yeah, it's not like what's he whinging about? Yeah. It's like, he gave an answer in an interview. Like, yeah. he gave an honest answer in an interview. Like, I mean, like, that's, that's allowed, isn't it? Yeah. yeah Why are people so fucking weird about this? It was like, I saw Don't a clip Don't say of, that my comedy is racist, that means I'm racist. Well, yeah, you know what, mate? It does. Sorry, go on. I saw a clip of Graham Norton giving, he was at some talk, it was like a one-on-one interview, and he's being asked about, like, cancel culture, of course, because he's a comedian. And he was basically saying, addressing kind of John Cleese and stuff like that. And he's oh, saying, <laughs> new host of GB be... News, John Cleese. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. What fucking world we're in. Um, yeah, and basically saying it must be strange for, you know, older kind of white men to realise that, you know, they've spent their entire lives just kind of being able to say things and not being held to account on it. And now they are. But he very much was making the point of like, I'm being asked about this and now I have to talk about it and it becomes this celebrity says this about that celebrity oh, yeah. and it's like these are issues that like I shouldn't be speaking about this experts should psychologists should or you know this is not the way the narrative should go and then I just did a quick Google search after seeing the clip and of course all the fucking news stories pulled from it was like Graham Norton takes aim at John Cleese like, oh my yeah. god and also there was also so the many times put the clip out as well and they were like Graham Norton says cancel culture isn't fucking real snowflakes and I was like that's not what he said yeah that's not what he and he's put on the spot about it, like yeah. It's, Again, yeah. it's like yeah, it's like yeah. It's it. I work in the media. It's a fucking disaster. Okay, 
Anyway, <laughs> speaking of feuds and strange ones, uh, Beyonce versus Right Said Fred, who recently featured in a, in the quiz, of course, Right Said Fred. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's going on here, Craig? So Beyonce interpolated I'm Too Sexy. Do they have any other songs? Um, sure they do. For Alien Superstar on that um, Renaissance album that she came out with in the summer, um, which I've only got to a few times. It's it's kind of, yeah, pop house, I guess. It's it's house-based. It's very 90s. It's writing that way. So, of course, why not go back to 1991? Yeah, that's fair enough. Pop house novelty hit, I'm Too Sexy. <laughs> well, Drake did it. Yeah, he very much did. I've been wondering, did Drake... Because the Drake album seemed quite rushed to me. The most recent one or that one that we did that time, which has that on it? Oh, sorry. You're talking about the actual Right Said Fred Samba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Way too sexy. Way too sexy, yeah. Good God, that was dreadful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I was talking about the latest Drake album where he's going full house record. I didn't even go near it. Oh, yeah, because that was the whole thing that Drake and Beyonce brought brought 90s house back. Yeah. Yeah. And my my thinking was that he he got wind that Beyonce had this in the works for years and was like, okay, this is the wave to ride. So he rush kind of recorded something. Maybe that, yeah. But that's a conspiracy theory right there. He's the trendsetter. He got the Right Said Fred sample first. I I don't know. Maybe I'm doing him a grave disservice. Right Said Fred members, Fred and Richard Fairbrass, unfortunately have um, come out against Beyonce despite giving permission. It's completely above board to use a sample. They were talking to The Sun. Um, insert spitting noise here. Yeah. <laughs> insert what noise? <laughs> Just spit like a... <laughs> you know. um, fuck The Sun. Yeah, they, they're saying that she'd on. used it without asking, um, which is not true. Normally, the artist approaches us, so Beyonce didn't deign to get on the phone again. A Zoom call with Fred and Richard, apparently to RSF LLC. Yeah. Beyonce didn't because she is such an arrogant person. I quote: "She just had probably thought, come and get me." What? <laughs> so we heard about it after the fact when you did. Okay. Then, as E points out, Beyonce has disputed this account, calling didn't it take erroneous. a line down at all, did she? Yeah, erroneous and incredibly disparaging. Permission was not only granted for its use but they publicly spoke of their gratitude for being on the album which they did in the immediate aftermath of the release there was quotes flying around about like yeah it's great it's great they were hyped yeah Yeah. for their song there was no sound recording use only the composition was utilised permission was asked of their publisher on May 11th 2022 and the publisher approved the use on June 15th 2022 they were paid for the usage in August 2022 so they're just trying to get publicity and it's work yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, have we got into? I don't know. Right said friend, aren't they very? Oh, they're they're, they're, they're like right. It's like alt right said friend at this point. And COVID deniers and yeah. stuff. Hey, you know who else came out just today? Uh, uh, Mia. Mia. Oh, Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> it was like she was trying to cram in every worst opinion into like one sentence. And then yeah, what is it? she said? Listen, um, I've, now been a that lot Alex of stuff Jones, week, <laughs> Alex Jones, people was sentenced to almost a billion dollars. <laughs> I, I laughed and I laughed. I was like, incredible. Um, that figure to me seems ludicrous. Of course it is. That's like it's impossible. But yeah, dead right. Like fucking I'm dead right. Like, 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 who, who was the fucking judge? Doctor Evil. <laughs> anyway, um, so so like essentially with um, where I said Fred here. I mean like yeah, the, uh, MIA. Sorry, MIA. Yeah, she put up a tweet saying now that Alex Jones uh, has been forced to pay for lying. Um, are like, all those celebrities going who, to be push the vaccine? Yeah, yeah. And like even Elijah Wood wrote back and he was like, "What?" Like loads of people were just like, <laughs> I, uh, I, I got in on the fun. I quoted her and I said, "Oh no, I'll miss those four good songs." That hey, she has. now come on. 
Name name, name. artist from the arse that she has two <laughs> Hold on, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> hey, listen, I fucking like I, I did another nine talk before about her document her very good documentary. Yeah. Um but I think if you break it down, four four good songs, five at a push, and the and they are, Craig. Galang, mm-hmm. Born Free, mm-hmm. Paper Planes, mm-hmm. Bad Girls, and at a push, XXXO. You're forgetting all the stuff. Jimmy? It's okay. Jimmy's incredible. She's got loads of great stuff. I was, I was also, we're not doing this I was because also being, we've, we've disparaged I, people previously for doing music. First sucks, of all, yeah, first of all, I was being facetious for Comic Effect yeah, great. because I did think I did think of you when I put that tweet up for likes. I thought of <laughs> I you. I didn't see it. I okay. went. I am doing that thing where I never liked them anyway. But yeah. I was doing it to be funny. Yes. Of okay. Course. It's all we're we're completely. I'm hilarious. Ironic, and that's I'm why we can Randy never Dave. be held to account for anything because we're deeply ironic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. We no one's going to cancel us. <laughs> oh <my God>. Cut to <laughs> Cut to like Put like a death knell in there Which is like dong. <laughs> anyway Finally there is one more news story And Craig picked this one Yeah um, Let's finish with the Wombles The Wombles The band The Beatles Could have been um, So interesting It's a kind of collision Of two Completely irrelevant stories Actually now I look at it But Mike Bat The writer behind All the Wombles albums Do you know Mike Bat Dave? No, I do not. All I know of him is that, aside from the Wombles, he co-wrote a lot of um, Katie Melua's stuff when she first um, came onto scene. And that was like a huge like hook for any interview with Katie Melua back in the day of just like, oh, the guy from the Wombles is like <laughs> producing stuff and working with you. And that was kind of interesting. They had some bangers though, right? The Wombles? There's, yeah, maybe not as many as MIA. There's three I mentioned you were here. you going to say, maybe as many as the Beatles. <laughs> Like, I don't know. We could dispute this. The Wombles or MIA? Uh, the Wombling Song. Do you remember that one? Uh, no. Remember your Wombles. I know that. that. Yeah. yeah. And Wombles Everywhere. Uh, no. It's not the one that goes Wombles of Wimbledon. Can we move this on? <laughs> like, like, Mike Bad has revealed that he's destroyed <laughs> all the master tapes. No. Well, now I'll never get to hear them. Um, so precious does he hold um, the back catalogue of the Wombles that he did it uh, with the pr- precise purpose of making sure that people can't fuck around with the Wombles recordings after he's gone. <laughs> he was talking to iPaper and he said, I mixed them as I wanted them. Not how some corporation or great-grandchild might like to remix, remix them when yeah. I'm not around. And then, yeah, the story goes on to say, it comes as a series of the Beatles albums of be remixed and expanded by Giles Martin, the son of the late Beatles producer, George Martin. Um, <laughs> the Wombles aren't the Beatles, <laughs> said Mike Bash. I might look back and say I could have done with a clearer bass guitar on that track or I could have mixed it differently. But if I wanted to go back and change it, I would. They aren't perfection. Pause there for a second. <laughs> but they are a faithful representation of what I offered to the world in 1974 and 1974. Nice. <laughs> Do you think the Eagles would want Hotel California remixed <laughs> when they're dead and gone? What's wrong with it as it is? This is like sabotage through art, isn't it? This is like you know, like like the ultimate disruption and tribute of like this is this can't. I, I will not allow. Yeah. A future. This is like someone has gone mad with power. Yeah. Yeah. The Wombles are sacrosanct. I wonder was there anyone? The Wombles just are sacrosanct. Like, <laughs> I wonder is was that there in the room just being like, no, Mike, don't do it. The monsters. The monsters. Mad scientists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like about to pour the fucking like. Oh my god. Hang on. I've, I've got some breaking Blink One Eighty Two news. Oh great. Okay. Tom DeLonge has left. No, he hasn't. Uh, so left the planet. <laughs> Tom DeLonge. He is currently orbiting Mars. Uh, he posted an Instagram thing about Matt Skiba. 
So we can actually follow up in oh, real time great. here. Great, let's Stereo do it. Gum have the story, right? Even though they just took it from his Instagram. Uh, but I, I, the reason I mention it is because they mentioned Josh Frisch- John uh, Frusciante and Josh Klinghoffer. Josh Klinghoffer like, yeah, yeah they, they made the same comparison in their intro here, Craig. You should be writing for Stereo Gum. Um, we'd all love to write for Stereo Gum, wouldn't we? It's a good website. Um, they pay. Tom DeLong. Stereo Gum. Mercenary talk. Tom DeLong. <laughs> paid for your work. We don't know. Tom DeLong on Instagram said, I sent this to Matt personally. But it's important for the world to know that I honour him. Thank you, at Matskiva. Here's and my private message. I know. I, you, was, you had all the best intentions. <laughs> it's important that you all read it and think I'm a great guy. <laughs> exactly. And here it is. Hi, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, I love it. Go on. Craig collapsing oh. onto the couch. Hi, Matt. Tom DeLong here. I wanted to take a minute and say thank you. I was reading this for the first time in real time. Oh, brilliant. Hi, Matt. Tom's along here. I wanted to take a minute and say thank you for all that you've done to keep the band thriving in my absence. Nice. I think you are enormously talented. I still love and listen to your band to this day. That's Alkaline Trio, everybody, by the way. If you've never listened to them, they're fantastic. Back to the message. You've always been so kind to me, not only in the press, but also to others. I really noticed. Emotions between the three of us and Blink have always been complicated, but Mark's cancer really put things into perspective. But to be honest, the band would not even be here today if it were not for your ability to jump in and save the day. So from my heart to yours, thank you for being a member of our band. That's lovely. That is lovely. Nice, yeah. Nice. yeah. Should, he have, should he have kept it between the two of them? Yes. 100%. Yeah? <laughs> what, like, there's no... <laughs> he didn't say why it was important to share, did he? So the fans know that everything's harmonious, I suppose. Mm. Okay, well, okay. Yeah. He didn't see the response from He didn't have to... Yeah. He could have just said, listen, I've been on to him and like... It's fine. It's, yeah. I feel better for having read it. I thought it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. I'm it's good vibes. Reunion. I'm not going to be cynical about this, that. I think this reunion is a good thing. And listen, when they inevitably break up again... Maybe they'll get like Pete Wentz into the band or something, you know? Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Although he's a bass player. He's a bass player. So that means that means Mark would have to leave this time. We don't want that. Oh god. Mm. Jesus. If Mark goes, Travis goes. So then you just then you just have Angels and Airwaves again. Or Boxcar Racer if Travis stays. What he said kind of wasn't true though, right? Go on. He's just like the only reason we can do this is because he was like, well, no, you could have just had a hiatus. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Actually, might have been bigger news if the name had been retired for a few years. He's being nice. (laughs) He's being nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, he's a better man than I am. What he's done there is he's closed the book on a certain thing. Yes. And he's opened a new chapter for uh, for an existing piece of literature and uh, musical literature, you could say. Uh, You fumbled a bit there at the end, but I'm raging. I'm actually actually raging. I'm raging. I, I, I had it. I fucking had it, and I, I I flew too close to the sun. Much like Icarus in the story of yes, back uh, on track, baby. Mythology, eh? <laughs> it's books. It's books. Top five songs about books. Um, I used to love books. I used to read them as a kid. I devoured them, and I believe that genuinely uh, over the years, uh, especially with the proliferation of the internet and smartphones and stuff, genuinely. Um, my ability to read has suffered massively and I find it hard to focus on just a book. If, for example, I bought Heat 2 recently. Oh, man. I'm still only like 70 pages in. Okay. And I'm like... So it's not gripping you then. No, right? it, it, it was, could, it was yeah, good, but I just called. find it really hard to... And I will say, like, I, I haven't read anything in a while. Like, I think the John Connolly book was the last thing I read and, like... What I did there was I had to, like, go onto YouTube, look up one of those ASMR, you know, rain on a, you know apartment block window in Japan at like three in the morning type things and yeah. have that in my ears as I read the book which actually was quite lovely and I would recommend doing but I used to when I was a kid I, I, I devoured books man as and I was I. like it was everything to me and then like I've really I hate that I've lost the discipline to read them because they're fucking incredible obviously yeah. and you know reading is great but uh, have you tried to fucking zoom in on a book I've tried that with my fingers like it was a phone 
that's how much my brain has been warped by modern Gee, technology. No, I haven't tried to do that. I've tried to do the like ebook thing though, and it just doesn't work. That's even worse. I've never tried about it. The tactile thing. I've never tried, I've tried it. to do. Um, Some people swear by it. You'll you'll be surprised to hear that I signed up for Audible multiple times and then forgot about subscriptions and <laughs> tokens like that I had to use. And I can't really hugely get into the audiobook thing either. Yeah. Um, I read a few books a year, but I'm, yeah, I'm like, I used to spend all my time reading and now it's just scrolling. It's it's a sad state of affairs. It is. But, um, I hope this top five will inspire yeah. me and also you, listener. And also Craig and everybody else to uh, to get back into reading because I do want to finish Heat and I want to get back into the books. Uh, but I'll... I still can't believe it's called Heat 2. I know. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Heat 2. And it's like... That's great. <laughs> he couldn't have thought of anything else. Yeah. Heat 2. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. And it's like, you know, whatever the, the years preceding and after, like it's just, it's very complicated. Yeah. Complicated book. It starts off and the, the start of the book is literally like a recap of the film. And in the recap of the film, they get the amount of times one guy got shot by the other guy at the end wrong. Of course they do. How did you do that? And Mick Pope, who's a big heat guy. Oh, huge, yeah. Keeps sending me that, that screenshot of that par- paragraph and he's like, why can't, why can't, why can't I get, get past it? Yeah, why can't I get past this? He's so upset. <laughs> anyway, um, top five songs inspired by books. Um, we'll see if we stretch the thread at all, if it goes into a non-book setting. I don't know, who knows, maybe. There's, you know, like, what defines a book? How do you define a book? Um, how do you define a, can a play? Book? Can a play be a book? Yeah, I mean, a book is just the physical mm-hmm. form, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we we didn't. Yeah, we didn't settle on novels. Although I did, I think I well, stuck we took books. I mean, like to novels. Like, like I guess it's literature, right? Yeah, the written yeah. word. But like a book, like a book of poetry, would that count? I we'll, think we'll so, find yeah. out. We'll I find think out. So. I think it should. I'll start off. Okay. Um, I think this band have featured recently. And this author is someone that I was very, very into for quite some time. And this is extremely pretentious. Here we go. Afraid to merge on the freeway, which I believe is the opening line from Brad Easton Ellis's Less Than Zero. His debut novel. You knew, you knew, did you? It's a debut I was novel. To say there'll probably be at least two Brad Easton Ellis references. It's Brad Easton Ellis's debut novel, uh, which is Less Than Zero. The song is "Song for Clay." Open brackets, disappear here. Close brackets. Clay being the protagonist of that book, and the band are Block Party. Block Party, your boys. Block Party. Kelly Okereke there. Uh, opening track on the second album. Can you name the album? Um. Yeah, I can. Not right now. Though. <laughs> it involved the city. Yes, it did. Um, People screaming at, at, at their phones right now. Yeah. The follow-up to Silence Alarm. It came out in two thousand and seven. I want to say. Enemy all over it. Yeah. Q Magazine all, all over it. What was it? What was A it? Weekend in the A City. A Weekend in the City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the album. Um, yeah, it's not bad, actually. Um, and it starts off with this song, though, and boy, is it pretentious. The opening line is, I'm trying to be heroic in an age of modernity. Yeah, it's very... Um, Can you think of a more block party line? I've got one for you. I feel like Matty Healy was taking notes. Uh, Speaking of, should we review the 1975 album next week? Is it out tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. Uh, and it's it's short. And then it's and then is it? <laughs> yeah, I believe. I love that you're like yeah, because the last two ones have been like double albums. I know. Apparently, like it's the most straightforward uh, album they've ever done. Well, I mean, one of the singles. 
I'm in love with you. The chorus is literally just like I'm in love with you. It's <laughs> it's a name, but I think well, I figure like 1975 is tomorrow, and then Ironic. Arctic Monkeys is the week after. Yeah, well, I could go. Probably should have done the Gilliband one. Uh, see, Gilliband got best new music in Pitchfork. Yes, and they're also referred to as being from the British Isles. It was changed, I believe, to the British and Irish, and Irish Isles. Isles, which I love. Yeah, I've never the heard new of location. I've never heard that. 1975's new record is 43 minutes. 40, 43 minutes. Okay, it's not terribly short. We probably should do 1975, but let's talk about a different 11 tracks. So let's talk about so close. Let's talk about a, a different UK band that uh, that maybe Arctic we'll, Monkeys. Yeah, we'll yeah. do that the week after. <laughs> Back to Block Party and song for Clay. Uh, there's a line here where he goes, "At le trois garçons, we meet at precisely nine o'clock. I order the foie gras, yes. and I eat it with complete disdain." Yes. So he's doing his Brady Snell's impression, which is kind of how Brady Snell's writes. Have you read Less Than Zero? Yeah, I read it like when I was about fifteen or sixteen, and it didn't really work for me. I, I remember kind of enjoying it, but I didn't then venture, you know, some yeah. people connect with his work and then suddenly it's all they can fucking read. He, I mean? uh, he wrote it when he was 19, I believe, and it was published when he was 21, which yeah. is depressing. Um, yeah. uh, it's, you know, follows Clay, a rich young college student who's returned to LA for winter break around 1984 and it's first person narration, his progressive alienation from the culture around him, loss of faith in his friends and his meditation of events from his recent past and he's, you know, friends with drug dealers and stuff and lots of, you know, uh, sex and drugs and, you know, bad behaviour happening, of course. Setting the tone for Brady Snell's career, I believe American Psycho. Was American Psycho the one after or was it Rules of Attraction? I can't remember. I've read everything he's done apart from his recent thing, which was that kind of collection of stuff because he's gone very like, you know, right wing and Trumpy. Oh, has he gone full? I don't know. I think he has. I haven't paid enough attention because I kind of fell out with him eventually. I used to... It might be one of those ones that's just like, well, this is where the edge is at the moment. You know, I'm being provocative. I don't really... you know. I I do think he's written some great stuff though. And there is a sequel to Lesson Zero called Imperial Bedrooms, which is good. Glamorama is good. Lunar Park is amazing. American Psycho is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Rules of Attraction is very good as well. Um, And yeah, look, he's got a style... And it is very kind of, this is what this is. Um, it's not surprising to me that Kelly Okereke would want to pay tribute. And I do think that Song for Clay, Disappear Here, is a good opener to that record. I do think that's a good album. I might have to go back to it, actually, because it was pretty It's good. disjointed. I think but what it, came like, at, thereafter was just like, they became a bit of a punchline and suddenly it was everything bar the debut was, you know, not worth revisiting. The second one is good. I mean, like, like it's, you know, I, I think it, it got a weird, there, there was such hype around them at the time. Everyone wanted it to be amazing and then everyone was like, this is kind of disjointed and messy. It is disjointed and messy, but in a good way. So, yeah, uh, I like Block Party when they're good. I like Brady Snell's when he's good. And I don't subscribe to the idea... That, you know, if you read American Psycho, you're automatically a prick. I think it's a very funny book. It's a satire. Much like Fight Club. Yes, I'm that guy. But I'm not that guy. And that's my number five. God, we cleared up that you're not that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My number five. Okay, so for my number five, reading is often a very solitary pursuit. Um, But this actually inspired one of the more collaborative efforts from this group. And here it is. Sentence Apprentice um, from Nirvana and based on the book by Patrick Zuskind, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, 1985 novel Perfume. 
um, came to both these pieces of art independently and didn't realise I had like my, one of those kind of like dumb eureka moments when I was halfway through the book I'm like oh is that the Priscilla's <laughs> Apprentice and I went back to you know my stack of cues and like found a <laughs> how is that like, stack these days uh, the stack is somewhere in, a, in an attic never I throw those magazines no out, they're way. a little piece of history um, my brother had like tons of Empire magazines over the years and like we can't find them anymore oh, they're all gone I wish they were there yeah. don't know where they are they must it's be in the attic somewhere writing in those things uh, it's, it's a bit upsetting but yeah apparently Kirk Cobain was obsessed with this novel um, which if people don't know it it's kind of set in like 1700s um, France follows this um, outsider who's born with this unerring ability to um, pick up on people's scents and create wonderful kind of uh, perfumes but he doesn't have a scent of his own he's so he's mute as well is he? yeah and he's I saw the of, film I haven't read the book yeah and like from a very early age he's kind of almost seen as like a, a bit of a devil child and he become a, it becomes a kind of perfumer's apprentice gets increasingly great um, I won't really spoil anything, but he realizes that the sense that we're all most interested in is the scent of a human. And how do you improve on, you know, so it, it, it's, it goes to a dark place. It goes to a place where Kurt Cobain um, loved it so much that he read it apparently like 20 times. <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> where you go with it. Have you seen the film? I have, yeah. And it's not. Uh, it's okay it's very stylised Ben Wishaw is really good yeah, in he Alan is Rickman good in I think is the I think they handled a lot of the more um, extravagant kind of set pieces in it quite well um, but yeah it was just one of those ones where I really really liked the book and I don't think it did a huge amount for me do you think uh, what's better that or Scent of a Woman starring Al Pacino <laughs> There's more shouting in Scent of a Woman <laughs> so I'm sure going to go with that um, yeah Al certainly wasn't mute <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of this novel is, you know, tells of being a total outcast and kind of wandering the countryside and Kirk Cobain was like, Yeah, I can see myself being a bit like that. And also there's there's a lot of layers of stuff going on in terms of consumerism and also creating things that um people appreciate but we ourselves can't really appreciate and it kind of chimes so much with the experience I guess Kurt was having. So I can imagine him like really gravitating towards it but the actual song itself the riff Dave Grohl wrote I believe and Kurt was like it was extremely basic it sounded like Tad or something but I didn't want to hurt his feelings and I wanted to encourage him so I'm like yeah let's go for it so we have Kurt Cobain to blame <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, I really like the riff it's a bit boneheaded but they do some kind of nice descending stuff with it and the drums are incredible on it it came out of a jam it was the first time I think they were all credited uh, as writing on it second track off In Utero which is my favourite Nirvana album and one of my favourite albums or, of all as time. I called it on Radio Nova that time In Utero In Utero I, I kind of flip between both of them um, no I think you're correct and I'm wrong yeah I think it, no it is In Utero but I was saying In, in Utero for, for Donkey's Years um, because it was one of those ones where I'd never heard anyone pronounce it these <laughs> things happen like, yeah. I mean I know someone was on the radio recently and they described the word hyperbole as hyperbole yeah, but you know what? Like uh, those moments where it that it feels like it should be embarrassing. Actually, what that is that's a signifier is is that they they are someone that reads things and don't, <laughs> don't they don't hear it out loud. Do you know what I mean? Okay, that, I, I never thought of it that book. way. That's yeah, very yeah, interesting. And okay. they haven't said just you know someone hasn't just said it out loud. Um, and every day is a school day. Every day is a school day, and um, yeah, that's my number five. Good stuff. Uh, we'll keep a similar tone, I think, in in my number four. Yeah. And you you want you talk about books, you know. I do, do I? <laughs> you talk about books. Your Dickenses, your... Your, your Brontes, your, your, your Dickenses. Yours. 
I'm sure Alan Shearer has a book out there in the shop somewhere. Dear John Aldridge's, um, how about The Good Book? Here's number four. <laughs> Right, Craig, it's the Bible, and it is the Pixies. The song is Gouge Away. Is the closing... Band Nirvana could have been. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> closing track on um, Doolittle, which might be a perfect album. Would you call it a perfect album? I adore Doolittle. I prefer Surfer Rosa, because of course I do. It was the first one I heard. It's literally just that preference. But yeah, Doolittle is incredible. Yeah, Gouge Away by the Pixies. Um, just wonderful way to end a wonderful album. Uh, an album that features uh, a lot of references to biblical violence. And yeah. this track in particular focuses on who, Craig? Um, the gouging of the title is the gouging of the eyes of somebody. It's Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Yes. Yeah. I was just um, reading that this week. Fuck. Not actually reading that, but I, I noticed this. Uh, this <laughs> I one picked of those up my copy of the good book. Inspired by books on, on my lunch like, break. Oh, I might include that. Um, um, yeah. But there's plenty of stuff, obviously, in Pixie stuff about religious references, like you know, like obviously, like you know, you have Monkey Gone to Heaven with you know, if man is five, the devil, the devil is six, six God, God seven. is seven. Uh, but you know, whenever, I never knew what he was going on about there, <laughs> but I like it. But he's gone to heaven. I mean, yeah. like. Um, he like Black Francis. He's talked about before, like especially the lyrics and Doolittle. And he said like he said they're just words that fit together nicely. Uh, it was, Even the name Black Francis, though you flip that around, yeah. it sounds biblical. Uh, he said the point of this album is to experience it, to enjoy it, to be entertained by it. So he's kind of pushing away the idea that he's trying to make any kind of grand statement here. But I'll tell you, he made a grand statement with this song. That's right, Craig. You want to know? I hear you ask. I can read yeah, your mind. No, no. Is there a new metal cover of this? Well, I tell you something. There you know, is. My second question is: but, <laughs> Do we have to listen to it? Yes, <laughs> we do. But before, <laughs> but before we do, but before we do, and again, listener, shout if you know it. Who do you think, Craig, did a new metal cover of "Gouge Away"? Inspired by Pixies. You can have one, two, or three guesses. But if you do the three guesses, maybe do them all at once. <laughs> um, <laughs> who do you think would be of the mind to do this? I can, I can give you the era when it was released. Okay, go on. Corn. Uh, so Corn is a guess. 2002 is the answer uh, for when uh, the era was. Um, stained. And one more guess. Shit. <laughs> Both wrong so far. Um, so maybe came to Pixies from I mean, Nirvana. It, it, Puddle of Mud? No. Okay. I mean, it could be anybody, but it's these guys. question comes having heard the audio do you know who it is I believe it's stained puddle of mud or corn <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not corn but who is it it's Papa Roach that does not sound like Jacoby Shaddix <laughs> yeah it is Papa Roach they it's on their Love Hate Tragedy album which was their second record they closed it off with two bonus tracks which were covers one was this I think another one was a Fate No More track possibly so there you go um, interesting I do I like mean a completely pointless cover well it's fun 
But it sounds, I mean, they're clearly just going for an extremely fateful rendition. Do you know what I mean? By just doing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, you, so you're, you're of the mind that a cover needs to do something, bring something new to the table. Not necessarily, but... Yeah. We, did a, just, we did a covers episode, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I just like when things are slightly reinvented. Or He doesn't have a, a, a standout enough voice, clearly, because I couldn't recognise it to I'd just agree with do that. it straight. It's and, more of a karaoke know. version. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. It's a great track. Doolittle's an amazing album. And uh, I'm not much of a Bible man, but if Black Francis is at the pulpit, I'm listening. <laughs> All right, my next one is um, the band The Wombles Could Have Been. their new encore top five debut <laughs> it's the Beatles with Paperback Rider from 1966 real turning point I think for them um, inspired England just won the World Cup <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah actually it was the it was the kind of swinging 60s swinging London it was in full flow it was um, a very cool time to be from Britannia I suppose and yeah <laughs> Interesting story. My dad has um, an older sister who's a good bit older than him. She got married that year and she went on her honeymoon to um, England, right? So her and her, her husband, um, Phyllis and Eugene, they're called. Shout out to them. <laughs> they're in London the fucking day of the World Cup final. No and way. they have such little interest in sport. <laughs> they didn't know the World Cup was on in 1966. <laughs> they didn't know England had won it and they did not know why people were celebrating on the streets of London <laughs> as they're on their honeymoon. They're like, what the hell is all this? Um, Can you imagine being so off the fucking... Uh, did I tell you the story about my dad maybe taking... Maybe name the boy. Yeah. My dad taking my mother on a date to see David Lynch's Blue Velvet when, oh the, my when God. they were in London. And apparently, right, halfway through the film, my mother was like... I can't handle this. I'm leaving. And he was like, see you later. And stayed. Good man. And I remember, like, I remember my mother telling Worth me the story. For. I, think, I, I think maybe he told me. I remember telling me the story. And I, I remember turning to him and I was like, and you married this man? Adam if it's has Lynch a, or Love, yeah, it's, it's Love true. All The Way, baby. Um, Adam has a count because I asked him. He read my mind during the playback of that song. How many times have the Beatles appeared in an encore top five? Any guesses? I'll say eight. I will say, I'm going to go low. I think Six. Craig has it. Six. Six. Did I ever pick them? I, you, no. <laughs> <laughs> there must have been a worse list that you <laughs> Or overrated. No, I actually had them in overrated. Them I, well, I had, I'm sorry. I had you, I had their album, Sgt. Pepper, <laughs> as overrated. Yes. Um, slightly. Overrated this, albums might be in my the favourite top five we've ever, we've what, ever done. What I will say... We need to do a sequel. There yeah, was, that was a great one. <laughs> if it counts, there was an additional... Four subs of the Beatles. Okay. Four subs, okay. Well, that's clearly me being like, we can't right keep there. using them. That's a yeah, World yeah. Cup winning squad. There's been some recent ones. Did, yeah. I, pick, did I pick Godhead's cover of Eleanor Rigby? Oh, I, I probably, yes. that's my closest I've gotten to How picking the Beatles. Can we catch? Anyway, back um, yeah, to back This writer. song wasn't on Sgt. Pepper's, that was still to come. This was 1966, as we just said. Um, and it was the turning point for the band because they were transitioning out of the kind of the pure pop thing, writing only love songs and broadening their horizons and getting very writerly, I guess. And this is a really good kind of like little vignette from McCartney. Uh, it was inspired by his Aunt Lil, apparently, who'd been at him for years to write something that wasn't a love song. 
Uh, what did he say? He said, years ago, my auntie Lil said to me, why do you always write songs about love all the time? Can't you ever write about a horse or the <laughs> summit conference <laughs> or something interesting? <laughs> So I thought, all right, Auntie Lil. So you wrote this um, about a paperback writer, um, which is great. And it's like, I don't know if it's a, maybe it's a slight cheat because it mentions a novel by a man named Lear. Now, I guess that's Edward Lear, who was like this absurdist um, poet more than anything. Um, I think he had a book of poems called like A Book of Little Consequence or something like that. Lennon loved him, currently loved him. He was, he was basically the... Um, it's kind of Bob Mortimer of his day back in the late 1800s, I guess. Uh, but I don't know if that novel really exists. I guess he was just saying that the novel is based on something that is completely ridiculous. And what you get from the song is that actually this guy isn't all that talented. It's him writing to a publisher trying to get his kind of career going. Um, it's very self-effacing. It's very funny because I think there is a meta thing of them realising that they're suddenly being appreciated in a realm that isn't pure kind of poppy trash, but also being looked down on still as like, you know, pulp writers or kind of paperback writers. Um, but actually what they were creating, Dave, at this stage was high art. <laughs> this is where it all starts. And it's kind of, it's like the fucking first punk rock song as well. It's great. It's got great energy to it. The riff's incredible. And it's it's bags of fun. Speaking of high art, uh, my next book on the list is uh, Extremely High Concept. And this song comes from an artist who has never been, appeared on the show before and probably never will again. So here she is. That is a song called Hey Pretty. The artist is called Poe, as in Edgar Allan Poe. Her real name is Anne Danlevsky. She is the sister of Mark Z. Danlevsky, who wrote House of Leaves. Ah, book. your favourite book. My favourite book. Your favorite novel? I have tattoos about the book. It's yeah. my favourite book. And again, in my falling out of reading books phase, I have three copies of this. And I actually had a fourth. And I, I, Did I lend it to someone or did I... I can't remember, but like... I if I if I ever see like another edition of it, I will buy it type mm. thing in a different edition. That it I makes have. sense that you would have multiple copies. It's a book you kind of need to get physical with. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's right, listener. So if you've never heard of House of Leaves, it's a how how would you have you read it? How yeah, you, yeah, you have I read, read it in it. college. Okay. I really enjoyed it. It's a horror kind of. Um, it's basically what it's about. It's mass. It's the size of a fucking phone book. Yeah. Right, and like at a certain point in the book, you will have to like turn it on its side, turn it upside down. Uh, it's very interactive that way. It's extremely pretentious, but it's absolutely amazing. And I was swallowed whole by it, which is kind of the point. It's about, essentially, this guy called Johnny Truant, who is a bit of a kind of a... I think he's a tattoo artist, apprentice or something, mm. and he's like a bit of a, a bit of a lout in LA. I think it's LA. Again, I haven't read this in so long, which is annoying because I've read it a bunch of times and I'm obsessed with it, but I've forgotten pertinent details. It's been that long. Um, he finds a manuscript in his apartment block, and the manuscript is about a documentary about a, a house that people think is haunted. Yeah. And in reading the manuscript, he becomes obsessed and his world starts to distort and he, you know, it's a dangerous obsession. And like, is his, is he becoming haunted? Is there any kind of actual, you know, supernatural element to this whatsoever? It's, and he's essentially like, when you read the manuscript, he's putting in like notes. So you're like, you're reading his narration, his like, his like, uh, you know, footnotes in it. Yeah. While also there's a narrative again. And it's fully like, is any of this real? 
you know, like uh, there's even a point where like he gives you like this version of his life and then he goes, ha, completely lying. That never happened. So it's all. I've got to say, it sounds kind of insufferable, but it's brilliant. It's, like, brilliant. it's so yeah. well done, which is like, I don't know how he pulled it it's off. It's a work of yeah. art, legitimately. Like the yeah. way, like the way it's set out, even in like its typefaces and its fi- like its physical nature and like the way the pages kind of go. It's incredible. It's an unbelievable experience. Um, and there's references in the book to Poe, his sister. And then she wrote an album called Haunted about one, the relationship that they had with their father and also about the book. So it's like it feeds back into itself. Mm. But this song, Hey Pretty, is a weird one because like there's two versions of it. There's this kind of more radio friendly one. But then there's one that like the studio kind of fucked with in which they actually have Mark Mark Zedlowski doing a voiceover for most of it. It's weird. She's only ever released two albums. One was called Hello in 1995. This is Haunted from 2000. And apart from that, nothing... And he himself, I mean, like, I, I adore House of Leaves. I think it's incredible. But I've struggled with almost everything else that he's done. Like, I, I couldn't read Only Revolutions, which was the read read eight pages on this side, then turn the book over, and then read eight pages on that side. And that's how you do it. And also Biffy Clyro named an album Only Revolutions after it, so he is very influential in the music world. Then there was, like, um, there's a book called The 50-Year Sword, which is kind of a novella. It's It's great. But then he did the thing. He started doing this thing called the Familiar, which was this new project. Where it was like a twenty-seven volume thing, and they're all again the size of phone books. I got the first one. I couldn't even get through it. And I actually looked for an update recently, and it was like after five of them come out, there's like a post being like the. I have to agree, unfortunately, with the publisher that these just aren't selling enough. So oh man, yeah, it'll probably never be completed. But um, he's a high concept guy. He's kind of the Brady Snellas of his world in that way. I thought House Leaves was a fucking masterpiece. I'm desperate to read it again. It's a good time of year to read it as well. It's a scary book. Yeah, it is actually. And it's good for kind of like in front of the fire as the as the lights go down around you. And the Poe album's a really, really good companion piece. Um, there's some stuff on it that, that is almost kind of, you know, musicless and too abstract for me. But she's an interesting figure. And together they made this kind of weird cross-pollination, you know, high project, high concept project thing. But again, if I was to recommend any book to anybody, as I always do, House of Leaves, Mark Z. Danlewski, Daniel, you know, S-K-W-I, I'm bad at spelling. Uh, It's fantastic. It's amazing. You should check it out. And check out Poe as well. She's an interesting artist who probably deserves more credit. Very cool pick. like that a lot. Um, before we get into my number three, just to quote the artist who created it, um, saying about kind of songs of this ilk that they did. I liked what I did, but now I look at it and go, oh, that was a bit iffy. I hear the forest is thunder down in the valley below. Zeppelin it was Robert Plant talking about his Lord of the Rings face <laughs> and that's the Battle of Evermore which has lines about like ring rats riding in black and other stuff sprinkled in there it's pretty subtle on this one um, there were songs like Ramble On which I think he was probably more specifically talking about where um, that's the first line on Ramble On yeah he, he gets very explicitly he goes um, "Twas in the darkest depth of, depth of Mordor I met a girl's 
also for her. But Gollum, the evil one, crept up and slipped away with her, which is just like, he's like, I can't believe I mentioned Gollum. But actually, I think this works really well for a lot of Zeppelin stuff and for a song like The Battle of Evermore, where they were clearly so talented at that old, ancient um, English folk thing. They were very much in that tradition. I know they kind of like were, the other part of them was this heavily indebted um blues American sound which they've kind of been called up for and like you know court cases in recent years for just cribbing uh, direct riffs and stuff like that when they actually just kind of sunk into the more folky stuff that uh, they were as adept at that and it sounds like something that they could have just picked up on from some like weird kind of um, county fair some like band uh, playing it that had you know been passed from generation to generation but no it was Robert Plant in the 70s and late 60s just being bang into Tolkien <laughs> With his like, I'm guessing just like shirtless walking around with Lord of the Rings saying, guys, this is really cool. It was like a a weird resurgence of um, interest in Lord of the Rings. Um, Apparently, I I think it was the hippie movement, right? So just like people getting into the ethos of Middle Earth and being connected with nature and the mysticism of it. Um, Led Zeppelin, of course, would also uh, dabble in... Satanism and the occult and witchcraft and they're a big nurse (laughs) do you know what I mean and it's deeply uncool but somehow they had the talent where I just listened to something like the Battle of Evermore and that mandolin is so magical and it's the one song I think they released that had another vocalist on it Sandy Denny friend of the band um, added this kind of really haunting counterpoint to Robert Plant and it just sounds like a song that could have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years and I don't think you get that without his interest in that kind of fantastical side of, um, you know, the English tradition. And yeah, he's talked, you know, in more recent years about how in the 70s you had, you know, the whole punk thing kicking off and a lot of his um, peers were writing, you know, social commentary and he was walking around with Lord Rings and quoting (laughs) Gollum and stuff. But it works. Like, I don't think Led Zeppelin would have been as powerful if he was trying to make very direct references to, like, striking and political gestures. And you needed his kind of mystical nonsense where it's more like his voice is an instrument and you don't focus on it. Um, So I think it was a good inspiration. And that's that's my number three. I feel like for a time, Led Zeppelin, where maybe they still are, like, you know, not quite full Beatles level of it's taboo to ever say that you don't like them, but they're like such a totemic band. Yeah. Uh, like, do you think that they're as good as people say? Um, do you think, y- like, listen yes. to them in 2022, like, is it not a bit ridiculous? They're, they're one of those weird bands where I think they sound more timeless now because so few bands are trying to do what they did. Like that as a genre doesn't feel like it really exists anymore outside of like what Greta Van Fleet That's and some stuff say, like that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah I guess that mother. kind of still exists. But it's such a it's such a kind of um a niche underground thing now. It's not in the mainstream. So you don't have that direct correlation between oh this is the cheesy rock and you go right back to Led Zeppelin. It kind of exists in its own world. I think the albums are really well produced. Like it was that 70s stuff they weren't around for the whole excess of the 80s production and that dated sheen of all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, that's up and four is incredible. The first few albums are brilliant. They had more strings to their bow than I think a lot of people would assume. They had a kind of subtlety and a delicacy to their music as well. They were all great players. They're probably underrated at this point because maybe are are they slightly, they were seen as a bit of a punchline for a while because they're just, they do like, they're totemic. They do kind of signify that start of like, 
the sexed up and like rock gods, you know, debauchery and it's that's all cheesy and, and crap. But the music, man, it's good. Yeah. And by the way, before anyone gets mad at me, when I was saying it's not a bit ridiculous listening to in 2022, I'm doing it with a knowing wink, guys. Of course, guys. we're all ironic here. Because music's obviously nothing very, means very, anything. Yeah, nothing means anything. <laughs> As someone said to me in a pub big art recently, everything is problematic and nothing is problematic. Ah, wow. That so, is... That's pure was. But look, music is timeless is the point I'm trying to make. And uh, to prove that, and to prove I'm on the side of the angels, guys, my number two in this week's selection comes from the 60s. Oh! White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. That's where the inspiration comes. Um, written and performed by Grace Slick. She was in a band called The Great Society when she wrote this, but she quit them and joined Jefferson Airplane. And uh, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible song. I love it. I always have. Uh, Adam was saying, like, oh, this puts paid to the theory that people only say that you listen to music, you know, never before 1990 or whatever it is, the accusation that follows me around. But of course... I said, well, people will find a way, Adam. They'll find a way to still give out to me about this because, you know, it's in a bunch of movies, yeah. which it is, and we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, you know, Grace Slick, who wrote this, said that it was meant to be a slap in the face to parents who read their children novels like this one and then wondered why their kids later used drugs. Because obviously, as we all know, Alice's Adventures in One Land is, in fact, a handbook for deviants, Craig. What? Yeah, it's it, it, yeah. It actually links in nicely with the Led Zeppelin thing because it does come back to that like English English tradition of like whimsy, but there's a dark psychedelia to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's all nothing is as it seems. Kind of. Uh, she said that White Rabbit is about following your curiosity. That's what the rabbit represents, and um, I think it's a nice kind of a companion to one that you picked last week. And the song is about the cold. You picked California Dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That era. Because, like, Literally. obviously, this song has been beaten to death by pop culture. But I'm never ever. It's never unwelcome when it comes on. Yeah. First of all, it's like two and a half minutes long, which is always great. And it's just such a fucking incredible song. And I, I gained a new appreciation for it in the last couple of years as I gained a new appreciation for what else? A film. This is, of course, used in a whole bunch of stuff, but I do love its usage in The Game, starring Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah. The David Fincher film, which um, I know a friend of the show, David Tapley, watched it for the first time recently, and I think he only gave it two and a half on his letterbox. But I, I must say, Tapley, persist, go back, because The Game is one that took me a long time to fully get to the level that I love it at now. Right. seen it a bunch of times, you know, since it came out. And my th- my takeaway was always, that was never as good as I wanted it to be. But I'm finally there now. The last two times I've watched it in particular, I think it's four and a half out of five. I think it's fucking incredible. I think the ending is brilliant. I disagree with anybody who says the ending is bad. I think the ending is actually perfect and has a, a fantastic joke attached to it. The whole thing is a joke, really, but there's just a great, great gag in it. And also, I'll go out there and I'll say this, Craig. Oh, I think it's Michael Douglas's best, best performance. film. Oh, yeah. best performance. Not his best film. Well, what's, best what, what, what's, what, what's a better film than that? With Michael Douglas? Um, 
Try, try out some Michael Douglas films. Basic Instinct, no. Wall Street. Um, no. Don't Say a Word. Uh, no. Disclosure. Oh, no. <laughs> Romancing the Stone. Uh, no. <laughs> falling Down. Hold with, on. I, falling Down, which is yeah, trash. Falling Down is, um, is one of those a ones where film. I feel like... If you went, I haven't seen it in years, but if oh. you went back and watched it now with the college, <laughs> oh, do you know what I mean? Do it. It is aged horrendously. <laughs> You've seen it recently. I have, yeah, you? of course I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's watchable trash, but it is trash. Uh, this song was also in a trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, of course. I think it is in the movie as well. Yeah. That was very disappointing. It was in uh, Stranger, Stranger Things, trying to get co-opted as they ha- do at every bloody song. And um, it was used recently in the WWE in pro wrestling for the return of a character, Bray Wyatt. So there you go. Good. It's, 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 it, it holds. Do you know Rick Rubin's mad into pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. He he's like he he always goes to SummerSlam because it's always in Los Angeles. This new he's always in the front row. Yeah, yeah. He's I banging into it. He's hung out with like Triple H and stuff. Yeah, they're mates. I wonder does do him and Billy Corgan <laughs> hang out and just chat wrestling? Well, Billy Corgan runs a wrestling company, so yeah, yeah. very very likely I would say. Yeah, you'll, you'll always see Rick Rubin at SummerSlam, like <laughs> behind the announcers and his big fucking beard and his white t-shirt. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. I mean, like Rick Rubin should like do it. He should do a stint in wrestling. I'd be great. Or at least, <laughs> yeah. Or at least just produce some themes or something. Anyway, He's just on producing the new album from the Strokes. Uh, excited. Yeah, I saw there was. I, 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 I saw there was a there was an update about that, wasn't there? He said like um, that they were recording outside or something in Costa Rica. Yeah, he set them up <laughs> on a mountain playing at the ocean. Wow, like to the ocean. Did he do New Abnormal? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That went well. So, Is there a timeline for the New Strokes album? No, I think he just let slip that he'd, a few months ago, he'd, he'd been working on it. So I kind of, am I surprised that they're doing one? I don't know. I'm quite surprised, to be honest, yeah. just because it's been, not long. been such gaps. But although, what, 2019? Was it 20? No, 2020. 2020. So yeah. two, yeah, two years, probably be next year before we get it. Hyped. Hyped. Okay, hyped. That, was my, that was my number two. Okay, here's my number two. And there was lots of options for this particular artist, songs we'd picked before. I've gone with a deeper cut, um, but I guess we can talk about all of it, really. You pause in the doorway. It's the worst time to stole you away. I was to pull you away. So I run into the home, into the corridor. There's a door in the house. I hear the lift descending. I hear it hit the landing. I see the house and the cat. That's Kate Bush, Get Out of My House, the closing track to The Dreaming, which I think seems to be rising in estimation um, year on year. It's it's now the album that people suggest when they don't want to suggest Hounds of Love. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like actually The Dreaming is kind of even more experimental and cooler. And it's like I think it's Big Boy's favorite record. Um, this was her getting deep into her Fairlight bag. And you can hear it there just kind of loads of early sample usage and her producing it all of her all herself and this is based on it's inspired by the shining the book not the film I haven't read the book actually neither have I haven't I. read much king neither have I um, quite different I believe oh, was, it, was it the shining he wasn't pleased with the way yeah, he hated yeah. the Kubrick version he, he like made version. a TV version um, um, which I can kind of understand because I, I think the descent into madness was a bit more gradual in his original uh, novel but yeah this is written from the point of view of house 
that it has taken on kind of memories and is haunted and is bewildered by new people kind of coming in and encroaching on its space. And it's about a fear of change. It's about growing older and having experiences and that making you more shut off from the world because you've been hurt before. So there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot going on. There's... um, it gets like that was a fairly plastic clip there's like terrifying donkey noises it gets kind of a bit scary <laughs> I was a bit scared listening to it in the dark the other night uh, <laughs> she's she's yelling an awful lot it was brilliant it's it's really good and yeah like I, I couldn't go with Woodering Heights because we picked it I thought you were going to go with Cloud Busting I couldn't go with Cloud Busting because we picked it we picked Cloud Busting for <laughs> I think weather songs okay right Woodering Heights was one of my um, best debut singles I think yeah it was Hounds of Love was <laughs> fucking oh, hell wow. I make that well, it's four now, is it? Yeah, well, yeah, this is yeah. the first There's track from the Dreaming, so I'm glad I ended up with this one. I could have gone with um, what you call it, the Sensual World as well, which was became Flower of the Mountain, which was the um, Molly Bloom soliloquy had that clip as well. But actually, I, I shied away from that because the clip was her just getting extremely sensual and indeed, and I was thinking ahead to us just sitting here listening to it and it's sensual enough. Averting our eyes, yeah. yeah. It's already so, pretty spicy. So I went with scary. Instead of sensual. That's fair. Yeah. Scary and sensual can be the same thing for some people. I know. Goths, I believe they're called. <laughs> uh, anyway, number one for me. Goths, I believe I did goths. say uh, off mic in advance, I said, um, I think I picked one of my best number ones. You did, yeah. Bragging. Strutting so, around the studio. So you were. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I was slapping imaginary high fives. Like Cock a, it a wall. Like a wrestler <laughs> doing an entrance. Um, I will say, like, first of all, you get a two for the price of one with this one. Because there's two different references in this to, 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 to the written word. But also... What a what an outstanding song this is from an incredible band who we all miss. We all miss. Here is my number one. I would lie anywhere with you, Craig. Any old bed of nails would do. It is Bed of Nails, Bed of Nails by Wild Beasts. Wild Beasts, boys. The beautiful Wild Beasts. And as you heard there, there was reference to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Hayden Thorpe saying, I love Frankenstein. I love Frankenstein in nature and design like the Shelleys on their very first time when our bodies become electrified. Together we bring this creature to life. It's alive. He is, of course, talking about sex. They're one of the horniest bands ever. Scary and sensual. There you go. Scary and sensual. Wild Beast is their better description. And of course, what else is referenced in this song? Um... I haven't heard it in a minute, so... Like a sister Ophelia. Oh, yeah. Hamlet. Sister Ophelia. Yeah. Tell me you're there. That fucking voice, man. Uh, his voice is better than ours, it should be said. Yeah, so Hamlet and Frankenstein. Not, not much. Not by much. <laughs> get, the, get the reference points for a very literary band, I would say. And I must say, yeah. I really was, like... I was I was a bit late to the party. I didn't appreciate them as much in their time. I'm so, as I've said a million times, I'm so glad I got to be there for that final ever Olympia show, and I'm so Me glad too. that I dragged Craig yeah. along because you were you were inundated with, with with college work, and I was like, you're fucking going. Um, but like, and it was one, it was magical, and they it are was. magical, and they're amazing, and their songs are so good, and like, if you even like go and look up the set list from that night on that last ever Dublin show, like make a playlist out of that. It's perfect. They're so fucking good. I was a little bit put off by them for a while because I did think that they were a little bit too, you know, 
too fucking like, like the Boy King album where it was just like no 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 even the early stuff I mean like like, like I think Hooting and Helling was the first thing I ever heard and I was like what the fuck is this so I was like this is there's an ac- you affectation guys are so, there that you yeah, need you guys to get like, past like, yeah, like, yeah. give me another word for pretentious because they've used that so many times but like affected <laughs> flowery I was just kind of like I was like these fucking like posh A level they insisted you know, like, upon themselves they did and I and, and I, 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 I'm I, glad they did I, I pulled back from it a bit but then eventually when I kind of fell for them I was like wait a minute this is incredible yeah and I'll always remember back you as well at they were on the main stage of Electric Picnic one year, which at like at like two in the day or something, which was just not the great wrong, for them. Yeah. The wrong stage, the wrong time. Like this is a tent night band without question. But they played Reach a bit further, and Craig like celebrated like Ireland had won the World Cup. It was <laughs> wonderful. Collapsed in the grass. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess just talk for a second about how much this band mean to you. Um, that's a loaded question. I don't. I don't not really even a question, know. Was it? I don't really know. They they felt like a band from a bygone era when I kind of fell in love with them. They felt like one of those like 80s or 90s bands where I kind of, you know, talking about like songs inspired by books, back in the day it was that thing of like the band you fell in love with, they became a bit of your world and it was like this cult thing and you looked to them for references to wider culture. They were kind of the curators, do you know what I mean? You kind of like it opened up a world to other art and Wild Beasts felt very much like that. They were Everything they did was so rich and so literate and so intelligent and they were just intoxicating. It just, you could fall in love with them and just get it totally lost. And yeah, they were just a very easy band to immediately take on as your own. So yeah, and I've just got great memories from like starting in Hot Press. Um, very few great memories from there. <laughs> but working through Hot Press and just different kind of struggles and returning to the albums as they would come out and just, yeah, yeah. It meant a lot. Yeah, this is from Smother, isn't it? This is from Smother, yeah. What is your favourite Wildbeast Probably Wild my favourite. That's the one, isn't I think it? Okay. Smother is the one. Okay. I don't know if that's the one most people would say, but that was the one, yeah, that really kind of, that I, I go back to the most. They're a wonderful band. Great. Uh, they're, you know, I think they earned their their affectations. They yes. were wonderful, and I miss them dearly. But they left a good looking corpse, so good for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, very similar band from maybe a decade or two prior to that. But like, yeah, everything I think we've just said applies to them. And I will say before we play the clip, this is a song that I, I previously years ago at this point did a top ten for this band on the show and I did not include this song (laughs) and there was outrage and here it is of course (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) I just only okay Yeah, it's the 11th best song by Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> it's Motorcycle Emptiness. I, I can't remember what point I was making when they didn't make that 10. Okay. Um, you know, you could have honoured Bradley Snellis here. They got a B-side called Patrick Bateman. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, there were so many songs you could pick from the Manics because they were just more than maybe any band just constantly trying to push um, stuff they were interested in. Voracious readers, um, very into culture and very outspoken. Nicky Wire and um, Richie Edwards when he was in the group. Um, 
Richie Edwards, who was ostensibly rhythm guitarist, but like uh, there's that sco- story of like some some other guitarist in the band coming up to him and asking him about like his guitar and his tone, and he was just like, "I don't care. I can barely play the thing. <laughs> I'm just I'm just in it to write words, man. I don't care. I just want to be in a rock band." And your man was like disgusted. I was like, "That was the genius. He was just a poet pretending with a rhythm guitar, and uh, it was tremendous." So yeah, this is based on Rumblefish, uh, the S.E. Hinton novel. Although I kind of wonder, did they just see the film and then go, "Oh yeah, we love that novel." <laughs> Maybe something the man. I've never seen. The film is that Matt Dillon? Um, Matt Dillon, and it is um, Mickey Rourke who's tremendous in it. It's the one that followed The Outsiders, which is the same writer. Oh, okay, right. And yes. The Outsiders was like the big hit, and I think Rumblefish. It's it's been years since I saw it. I think it was on like Channel Four, at like Capone, two in the morning. Is it, it France? Yeah, Capone? it is. It is. He, did, okay. he directed both those I've, films. Did he? The Outsiders Jesus. came out quickly and was like a massive hit. This was an absolute flop. But I think he he like went on to say this is like his favorite film that he ever made. Mm. It's it's black and white. It's Directors really well shot. Always, uh, don't they? But yeah, yeah. That, musicians yeah. too. That it album didn't work. Though. It was always the best. Mickey one. Rourke is tremendous in it. Like that was real. Like he could be Brando. He, do you know what I mean? At that again, point, like yeah. for a time, he was a, an an incredible actor. Yeah, and a beautiful man who fucked up his face by boxing. He got and into boxing. boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, this is a song kind of about wasting your life and about consumerism and just like yeah, it takes that kind of motorcycle biker gang aesthetic it doesn't have a huge amount to do with the plot but they're just using it as a jumping off point it's very cinematic in its own way just that guitar soaring melody it's definitely in probably their top 10 songs but <laughs> <laughs> I think it was week. more one of those introductory lists and I was just like everyone knows motorcycle emptiness let's get on with the deep cuts so that's my rationale but uh, yeah enough. I love the Mannix adore the Mannix and They've probably been picked quite a bit, Adam, This right? is the thing. I mean, I guess before we get to, like, like as part of the epilogue for this uh, top five, uh, I'm going to guess that this is the Manic Street Preacher's fifth appearance in a top five. I'll go higher, but I think you're probably right. I'm going to go seven. So, I thought it would be <laughs> this is like high. D- oh, yeah. Only once? Three. Three. Okay, right. And one no ox cord. Okay. Okay. And if you like No Oxcord, by the way, and if you want to hear a new episode of No Oxcord, it's patreon.com slash noencore. It'll be out in the next few days. We, we, we will gather and we will Amazing. talk about music we've been listening to lately. That doesn't make conversation in the show. We will have a debate now, I guess, over the next few days whether or not we should review the 1975 album. We might do it. We'll see what happens. But for now, that is us, in fact, closing the book on yeah. our top five songs Lovely. about books or inspired by books, inspired by literature. And that's no encore, everybody. Um, but you know, the great writers. Some of them are unknown. You know, like like you, you just don't know. Like they're <laughs> you, you never know. What's they're out ghost there. writers. They're mysterious poets. But thankfully, we can we can honor and give flowers to the man who writes the tone for the show every week. It's kind of our editor makes it sound pretty good too. <laughs> it's Sonic Architect Adam. Thank you. Um, I, I broke into spontaneous <laughs> applause. Because we appreciate him. He deserves him. it. Standing on his <laughs> it's because we appreciate him. And we appreciate you, listener. Uh, like I say, always please be of the mind to tell a friend about the show. I, I recommended football cliches to about like six people yeah, in the last week. week. And post, I thought about this. Pods. And I was like, I hope people are, are going out there with the same fervor and passion that I do with football cliches about no encore the world over. Yes. So just do that. That's all I ask. Not that much, is it? You know? 
not like I'm coming at you for money or anything. Yeah, well, we are slightly coming at them for money, but in a really like passive, passive way, <laughs> and we don't care that much, and we love you regardless. Well, we care. If you're listening right now, it's fair to say we love you. That's true. <laughs> we do love you. And on that note, my name is Dave Hanratty. Uh, there has been no encore. There will be no encore. Good night, everybody. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.